If you'd open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. It's in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Yes, I can go on, and that's about as far as I can count. Acts chapter 20. You know, um, our vision for Christ Community Fellowship is up there. And notice it doesn't have a lot of words next to it. It's just a logo at the moment. The elders and I have really been praying over this and seeking the Lord. And we just felt that this is kind of where we're putting our, staking our our ministry, our lives. And the vision is really simple. It's to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. That's our, that's our, that's our drive. It's to glorify God by loving and obeying Jesus Christ. Simple, yet profound. Over the past few weeks, we've been slowing down, and you know I've been slowing down because I've been only teaching like one verse at a time as we've kind of been hitting through Acts. And you're like, if you're task-oriented, you're like, well, can't we just get on with that? The reason why I'm slowing down is because we're hitting all these things. It's important to me to be able to communicate it. It's important for you to be able to see it in Scripture. And as we look, we can leave that up there. Uh, As we look at Acts chapter 20, we're looking into the life of Paul. There's not a lot of doctrine there. You know, he's going from one place to another. But you're, you're actually seeing his life played out before you. And we know that um, as we look at brothers and sisters in the Lord, that is often how we learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we look at Paul, this man who said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. You want to know what Christ looks at like, look at me. And I talked about this last week. That is an amazing statement. So we're slowing down. We're looking at this guy, what he says and what he does. And that's really what it means to glorify God. How many of you kind of think glorify is a Christianese word? I'm trying to find a better way of saying that. We are, we are as leadership. We're trying to, you know, because the world looks and they go glorify. And it's like, okay, Christianese, move on. I get it. But the Lord has given us um, his scripture and he paints different pictures of what that means using different parables and analogies and all this type. He's hitting it from a hundred different angles. But that's really what it means to glorify God is to imitate Christ. That means how I think, how I feel, and what I do and how I act, it all reflects what Jesus thinks, what he feels, what he does. It's reflecting the Father, glorifying the Father. And so Luke 10, 27, he's quoting the Old Testament, this lawyer, and he says, Jesus says, well, what's what's the deal with the law? And he says, this is what the, the heart of it is. He says, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, 
with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and to love each other as yourself. That's what it means to glorify God. And that's the aim of being a Christian. That's what it's about, to deny self, that old life, to pick up your cross like Jesus, to deny that old life and to say, not my will, but your will. In my mind, in my emotions, and in my actions. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's our aim as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And this is how Paul lived. This was Paul's ministry. This was his life, his ministry. There wasn't a separation. How many of you separate church life and and life life? Repent. (laughs) They're, They're one and the same. Your life is your ministry. Your life is what God has given you to reflect him in every avenue. As a nurse, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a you know employee, employer, whatever it might be, that is your ministry that the Lord has placed you in. Now that min- word ministry can be kind of out there, but we're going to bring it down and, and kind of say, well, this is what it means to live. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what ministry is what God has called you into. You got now got pulled into God's plan. And ministry is doing God's plan. Did you know that? You don't have to have a degree to be a minister. Jesus was hanging out with his disciples a lot, and they became ministers of Jesus Christ, so much so that the religious people said, who in the world are these people? They weren't taught, but they noticed they had been hanging around Jesus. That's what you do. You hang out Jesus and minister, with Jesus, and ministry happens. But that's what it is to, be, to live that life. And this is how Paul lived. His ministry was one and the same. And in Acts 20, that's where we are, verses 18 through 24, Paul gives us four ways in which he lived his life, four ways in which his life's ministry was directed, four ways in which God desires to use our lives, your life, to bring him glory. And they are ministry towards God, ministry towards the church, not the building, the people, and ministry towards the world, and I would say that inward ministry towards self. And our focus today is ministry towards the world. By way of review, let us recap the first two directions that God has called you to minister. The first is towards God, and the second is towards the church. So Paul's in Miletus. He's a little bit south of this place called Ephesus where he had spent three years ministering wholeheartedly to people, pouring out his life. And he was modeling everything for them, and he gets them together. He's not going to see him again, and he's going to lay down these last words to them. In verse 18, he says to these sweet elders that he loved and raised up, he says, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. He says, from that first day I came into the province of Asia, you know how I lived. First, he served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Secondly, you know that I've not hesitated to preach anything 
that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. These verses show us the first two directions in which God used Paul and desires to use us. The first is towards God. How do we minister to God, so to speak? How do we, what does that look like? Paul says, I served. That word means a slave. I was a slave to his will. And notice how that often works out with tears and a lot of opposition. When you step out and you start to serve God, you're going to find out that he's going to call you to speak to people who don't necessarily want to hear or receive correction. He's going to tell you to minister to people that are probably ungrateful sometimes. Ever that happened to you? And you're going to find, so you're going to have this inner turmoil. You're going to have this um, inner struggle, emotional tears. And this is where we get totally destroyed if we're stepping out to serve the Lord and we get focused off the Lord first and we start focusing on serving men, men will burn us. Just get used to that. We're rotten at the core. Anyone want to say amen? (laughs) We have bad days, bad weeks, bad years, just plain old bad. That's why we serve the Lord with humility, knowing where we've come from. It's very easy when you've become Christianized, when you see Jesus, to sit there and go, oh, look at, look at how, um, how I've arrived over you. No, Paul said, I served with great humility. You know what that means? He knew at the heart of his own heart that he was the chief of sinners. Any of you go, that is me today. I am prone to brokenness. I am prone to just go off the rails. That is me. And But by God's grace in my life, I'm saved. And that's the op- that's the. I am your servant. Great humility, he says. He wasn't boasting in his humility. He was boasting in the grace of God, working that out in his life. He would go to the, in First Corinthians chapter 9, he would go and talk about his apostleship, and he says, I worked harder than all the other apostles. He says, not, it was not me, but the grace of God within me that worked that out. God's love and his grace and the apostles Paul's life changed him so deeply that he was so devoted to serving God that no matter what happened, he was going to do what God had called him to say because he was a slave. Is that your mindset for serving the Lord? I tell you what, I need a reality check as I'm preaching amen, that I am no longer in charge. I've been bought with a price. Here I am, Lord. Use me wherever, however that looks. I serve you. And you're going to experience tears and you're going to experience opposition. I don't want to re-preach my message, but secondly, the thing he focused on was ministry towards the church. Now that we know the church isn't the building, although it does need ministry, believe me. All right? But to tell you the truth, it's ministry, the church, who are the, the church? Those people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ that are new creations in Christ Jesus. That's, that's you. If you have said, Jesus, save me, and you've put your faith in Christ, you are now saved. You're part of the body of Christ. And by the way, now you are responsible to minister to one another, to not withhold that. And you will be accountable for Christ, I believe, on the day of judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, of what you have done in your body, whether good or bad, and you'll be rewarded accordingly. And I think there'll be many tears at the end of our lives when we've invested in things, really, that are secondary to eternal things. 
And, and it's going to be a sad day, and I think that's why the Lord has to wipe away all our tears for those of us who are saved. One of the reasons. Praise the Lord that we're in Christ and we receive forgiveness and our names are written in the book of life. Amen. I love that part of it. But don't you at the end of the day want to say, I've done all that you've called me to do. I've loved these people with the love you've given me, with the talents you've given me. You haven't called me to do this, but you gave me to do this and I did it. Because of your grace in me, serving with great humility. And so he says in verse 20, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. Our life's, our life's ministry is directed also towards the church, first towards God, but also towards his body. Paul says in verse 20, you know that I've not hesitated. I haven't shrunk back. I haven't disregarded what you've called me to do, called me out of the world to serve, to give, to love. Because Paul served God, he loved and served the people of God. Does that make sense? Do you, do you get that connection? I love God. If we go back to our, if we can, is it possible to go back to our vision? It isn't on? Okay. You got to glorify God in the middle, right? If, if I say I, I love God, if I want to glorify God, then I'm going to love and obey Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey my commandment. This is what you do. You do what? You love one another. You're hanging out with each other. You're finding out what the needs are in each other's lives. That's part of it. The ministry towards the church. Paul did not hesitate to do that. He didn't shrink back. Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to show it by loving the church. And how are we to minister to our brothers and sisters, the church, with your gifts, with your talent, with your time? What you love, you will prioritize. What you love, you will prioritize. Did you know that? What you love, you'll, prior, you'll put your priorities around. It shows, it shows it. Me too. God's love is always tied to action. This is not an emotion. This is an action. It's a choice. God's love is always tied to action. For God so loved the world that he gave. Peter, do you love me? Then feel good about me. Feed my sheep. Show it. Our life's ministry is directed towards serving God, and our life's ministry is directed towards loving the church. Thirdly, and this is our focus this morning, our life's ministry is directed towards the world. When I say the world, what do we mean? We're talking about those people who do not believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. They have not put their faith in Christ. They are technically what the Bible calls lost. That's what Paul says there in verse 21. They are lost. Not been found, living in darkness, rejecting God in his kingdom. They have not received Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what we mean by the world. We're not talking about the ball. We're talking about the people on the ball who say no to Jesus. No matter if they're Jews or Gentiles in Paul's world. So Paul says of his life in ministry in verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul's life's ministry 
towards the world, towards the unbeliever was evangelism or what we call it CCF, what we identify on our vision as witness, witnessing. That was his life's vision. That's what he did. Four ways, minister to God, minister to the church, and to the world. That was part of who he was. That is part of what it means to be a Christian. The word evangelism, guess what it's translated as? Good news. That's where we get it. That's the good news. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a noun and a verb. Did you know that? To evangelize is to spread the good news, the gospel. That's what it means. Paul was devoted to declaring the good news to the world. Our life's ministry to the world, to the unbeliever, to the lost, is evangelism. That's what it is. We identify it as witnessing, like I said, on our vision. And as believers who desire to glorify God, we will be actively involved in witnessing. Jesus witnessed, guess what? So do we. I'm not leaving any room, okay? This is what the Bible says. You are my witnesses. So figure that out <laughs> with the Lord, Amen. Lean into them. You're to be a witness. I know many of you are going, well, does that mean preaching or teaching? I want you to go to the Word. I want you to ask questions. I want you to find out what that means because you're accountable for that when you stand before the Lord Jesus. And I want to help you in that. There's teachers and encouragers. Now, we know that there's the office of evangelist, but that we're all called to witness. Some people are abounding in mercy. They have the gift of mercy, but we're all called to be what? merciful. Sorry, love is not my gift. It's a fruit. (laughs) But we are all to be actively engaged in the process of sharing the gospel with people. And I would say that is lifestyle evangelism, how we live, and it is also opening your mouth. And we'll get into that a little bit. But as a church, we're called to this great ministry of declaring the good news. And individually, we're called to it as well. So as a church, that's our aim, to reach the lost, but also individually. And Jesus said in Mark 16, 15 to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He uses all, and he says to all creation and to all the world, just in case you're wondering if there's people you can leave out. Who's he talking to? Your neighbor down the street? That would be an all. And he says, go. Right? In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus said, because he has all authority, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey every I've commanded you. On the serious side, Jesus said in Luke 9, 26, he said, whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory with his glorious angels, you know, and, and in the glory of the Father. He says, if you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you. Do you want the wiggle room? I'm not going to add it. Are you ashamed of Jesus? Are you ashamed of his gospel? Jesus will be ashamed of you. I'm not guilt tripping you. Read it. And that tells me that those who are actually his are ones that are not ashamed. They're ones that not only stand upon his word, but they proclaim it in their words and in their deeds. 
You are called to be salt and light to the world. How does it sit with you? You know, oh, that's easy, Matt. You're a preacher. I'm accountable for what God has called me to do, right? And I'm looking at it going, gosh, I see what Jesus has actually probably called me to and what I'm actually doing. Oh, Lord, help me. I'll be accountable for that. You're accountable to what the Lord has called you to. Amen? Don't measure yourself against someone else. Go to the Lord. Seek him out. Find out what this is. This is serious. It's a serious thing. In other words, my people are not ashamed of my words, but will be the ones who proclaim them and standing upon them. And there's different ways in which we can proclaim, but I don't want to give you an out. Wrestle with it. So we know that we have a mandate to witness to an unbelieving world. But what exactly does it mean to witness? What does that mean? What are we trying to communicate? How many of you feel like I can totally communicate the gospel message of Jesus Christ? And most of you will go, hmm. And you might be timid inside, and that's okay. That tells us that we need to train. We need to equip. We need to encourage. We need to step out in faith. And guess what? When you step out in faith, you're going to find out, boy, I didn't communicate that well. I need help. Right? But what the enemy wants you to do is just be quiet, be content, don't stir the boat, sit down, be quiet. Don't you dare share that thing that can change people's lives. No, you can't do that. No, you, you, bet, you better, you, you, you're just unworthy. And all this stuff, he just wants you to be quiet. Lies. God would say what he said to Moses, did I not make your mouth? I know how to help you. Oh no, I need an errand, Lord. And we know what trouble they got in. No, God wants to use you to communicate the gospel. What are we communicating? What are we communicating in the gospel? Evangelism or witnessing is defined for us quite plainly in verse 21. Ready? Just go to the Bible to define the Bible. Here it is. Paul says, it is declaring to the lost that they must, what? Turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. The gospel that we proclaim is two parts. Repent and believe. That's what we preach. Repent, turn from your sin, believe, turn towards God. That's, that's the gospel we preach. Isn't that cool? Yeah. So are you feeling a little bit better about, you know, the, all the complexities of communicating the gospel? Turn from your sin, turn to Jesus. How's that for a gospel message? I like that. How do you feel about saying turn from your sin? Ah, let's just do the turn to Jesus part. Well, missed the first half of the gospel. That's not the gospel. <laughs> turn from your sin, turn to Jesus. So we got that negative part of the gospel and the positive part of the gospel, so to speak. That negative part, which seems to be very difficult. Repentance from sin and that part we love, that faith in Christ. But preaching the gospel is declaring to the lost that they must turn from sin and turn to Jesus in faith to save them. That's what it is. And I want to break that down, but before I do, I, I, I notice the manner in which Paul is communicating the gospel. And we should share the same mindset. He says in verse 21, I declare. And as you know, little Greek words are hard to bring into English. 
That word declare in the, in, the, in the New King James, it might say testify. Some of you have testify in your Bible. I declare, I testify in the English Standard Version, which I like there. It says, I have solemnly testified. What does that mean? That word is, a, is declaring a compound verb that means to give a full account, holding back nothing. It's also translated warning in other places. So Paul's mindset in communicating the gospel was a serious one. He was testifying. It's like you got dragged into court. And you're standing there, and you're not in your shorts, going, hey, yeah, whatever. Chewing your gum. You know what I mean? This just, just doesn't make a difference. No, you're pulled. You've got the suit on, so to speak. There's a mindset. There's a seriousness of what you're communicating. You're held accountable for what you're seeing. What you want to say needs to be totally accurate and full. And that's why we have a great responsibility to know the word and to proclaim the word. But simply put, you look at that, those two things, repent, believe, but we've got to build upon those. We've got to be able to build upon them. There's a case to be made for each of those. And we need to study. We need to show ourselves approved. We need to be students of the word. So Paul's mindset, he's like in a court. He's not leaving anything else. He was witnessing. He was a witness. It was, it was serious. It's a warning. And the reason it's so is because the audience, the people he's speaking to, the people that we love, the world, they're lost. That's what he says there in verse 21. They're lost. They're dead in their sins, Ephesians chapter 2. They're headed towards judgment and eternal punishment, John chapter 3, 36. That's serious stuff. Amen? And so when you're sitting there, you're trying to communicate with someone, there is a seriousness because you know that they are one heartbeat away from reaping what they've sown eternally. And I don't want that. How many of you have family members? You see, love overrides our fear to communicate. Love overrides our fear to communicate. Love overrides. What if Jesus was so concerned that he would offend you that he didn't say anything? But he wasn't. What if Paul was so concerned that he would rock the boat or break a relationship that he didn't say anything, he didn't write anything. We're in a world that's totally set up to go against the gospel. It's gonna be difficult. You will have tears. You will have persecution. It's the way it works. But our, our audience, they're dead. They're not interested in spiritual things. They fall asleep when you start talking about Jesus. They don't care. They get angry. They react. We're talking to dead men and women. That's what we're doing. That's our audience. How's that for an audience? So what needs to happen? God needs to happen because God is life. And guess who God chooses to use to bring dead men to life? People who were once dead. I love that. And we know what it's like to be dead, and we know what it's like to be alive. And so we take and we begin to go, I was dead, and now I'm alive. This is the communication. I, he came to me. He convinced me of my sin. I had to repent. I had to turn. And I had to put my faith in Jesus Christ, and he saved me. 
So Paul testified, he declared to the lost the message of the gospel. And again, that two sides of the gospel that Paul communicated was repentance from sin and faith in Christ. And this is what we communicate to the, the lost, repentance. And so that first thing we preach is repentance. How many of you remember when Jesus first comes on the scene or John the Baptist first comes on the scene was the first word out of their mouth? Hey, my name's Jesus, I'd like to get to know you. First word out of his mouth was repent. What did all the prophets declare to all the people? Repent. Disciples come on the scene. What did they declare? Repent. I know that's a Christianese word, right? Kind of Christianese a little bit. What does that mean, repent? So glad you asked. Thank you. What the word means, it's, it's metanoia in the Greek. It means to change one's mind to change one's mind. That this means that a person was thinking one thing and going one direction based upon what they believed. And when they're confronted with the reality of Jesus Christ and the gospel and the Holy Spirit working on their hearts, their mind is changed about who they are and the direction they should go and they turn and go in the opposite direction. And guess what that opposite direction is? It's towards the Lord. That's where faith is. So the gospel says to the sinner, turn from your sin. Repent. So as the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit is convicting of sin and that per- so that person turns from their sin, not just a little bit, but all the way. That is what it means to repent, to change your mind about sin, to change your mind about who you are. And that is a work of the Holy Spirit. You can't force that upon people, but you can preach the word, which is the the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And he is the power, and he convicts hearts, and he changes, but he's going to use you to do it. And the actions, when a person is changed in their mind, is, 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 is immediately turning from those things and turning towards life. But see, our audience... They aren't going to want to do that. They love darkness rather than light, John says. Their deeds are evil. They don't want to be exposed. They would rather hang out in them. And so we simply shine the light. And the Holy Spirit works on the heart. And it's up to them to respond. The gospel is about saving us from our sin and the penalty and the power of it. The first response of the gospel that a person's going to have is repentance from sin, turning from sin towards God. And this starts out in our mind. It starts out in our thinking, which we're going to get to in a second. God starts working on us in our minds quite often. For some reason, there are those who say that repenting is not necessary in order to be saved. That there does not need to be a change. There doesn't need to be any of those things happening in our lives. You just believe in Jesus and do whatever you want. That's not true salvation. That is not true repentance. Some verses that should make you think are here. Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 47. This is what is written, Jesus said. The Messiah will suffer, will rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached. 
to all things repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Acts 17.30, we read this a little while, read this a little while back. We we're in Acts 17. He says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. For he has set a date when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus Christ. So if people do not repent, they will be judged with justice by Jesus. Is that what we are hearing from the pulpits of America? Is that what we are hearing out in the street place? What are we hearing? We want to give you Christian culture without the cross. We want to give you Christian lifestyles and music and all this stuff without the reality of you can have all of that and go to hell. I know I'm losing my audience already. (laughs) But if people don't repent, they're going to be judged. And that's our heart. That's why Jesus came. That's why God was so serious about sending his son. I love you that much that I'm willing to lose all that I have that you might live. It's the heart of the message of the gospel. Willing to lose relationships, lose face, lose whatever it is that you might live. I'm willing to lay it down. Lose my job. So forgiveness is tied to repentance, and it's all tied together. Salvation is changing your mind from living under sin to living under God, and that is a work of God in the the heart. And so don't think that people can pray a prayer and show no signs of turning in their lives. They must turn. They must turn. Luke 13, 3 says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you all too will perish. So if you don't repent, you perish. Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness, different thing there, but instead he is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So repentance is the conscious, this is the definition, ready? Repentance is the conscious act of the sinner whereby he turns from his sin towards God. It's a choice. I choose to turn, and I turn to faith in Christ. So, the sinner agrees with God. They're convinced in their mind. And this is where the mind comes in. This is where it starts, the changing of your mind. The facts are laid out. Facts are laid out. And then you're sick in your heart over what you've done. The mourning over your sin. And then it's demonstrated by your will. Changing what you're actually doing and doing something different. So repentance is the changing of our mind. That's where it starts. And then it goes to our emotions. And then it's act, played out in our wills and our actions. And so in theology, we call this our intellect, our emotion, and volition. Okay, for those of you, I know that'll help you a lot this week. I just want you to know that I'm smart. So gospel... Gospel comes, the gospel comes to us with the facts. We've broken God's law. Listen, there's nothing wrong with God's law. It is perfect. It is holy, Romans declares. God said, do not lie. Do not lie 
is what the Lord says. I am not a liar. I have nothing to do with lies. It has nothing to do with my nature. I am truth. Do not lie. And when we see that stop sign that says, do not go past 55, and we are going 68, we realize I'm a liar. How many lies does it take to make you a liar? One. And we can all say, we're liars. Some greater degrees than others. But I've broken God's holy law. Do not covet. We don't even, I think we're so desensitized to coveting in our culture, we don't even know what that means. Wanting what someone else has, is that not based, like our whole deal? I want what everybody else has. I've got to have that. Do not covet. I'm a coveter. And the law shows us, and and we think we have righteousness by keeping the law. We don't. It shows us that we can't. It shows us who we are. And so the list of facts goes on. You see, it starts working in your mind. It starts laying it out. This is what the Lord does. This is what the Word does. And God's Spirit is convicting us. He's convincing us. He's, he's working in that reality of our minds. He's showing us who we are. That's an act of grace on God's part because if he didn't, he could just be rightfully just leave us where we are and say, have a nice life. I'm going to watch you go to hell. But that's not the heart of God. That's not the heart of God. His Holy Spirit comes in John 16, 8 says, and when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He lets man know within their heart of hearts that there is an accountability for their lives. Listen, we're moral beings. We're moral beings. There are people out there that says there is no truth. And what do you base that upon? That is a judgment. Right or wrong, we're moral beings, and if we're moral beings, there must be law. And if there must be law, there must be an ultimate lawgiver. We are reflected in his nature, and we're going to be held accountable to what he says. And it's in our hearts. We know not to kill another. We know not to lie. We know not to murder. We know these things. They're in our heart. We know. They testify. Our conscience And we can so deny the Lord that we sear our conscience. But when the Spirit has His way, we come to the same view as God. Did you know that? That's how you came to Jesus? The Holy Spirit was working with you? He said, hey, 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 you're going to die. You're going to check out soon. And guess what? You're guilty of all these things. And and you push it off and you go, man, that's just religion. And it keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. It keeps coming back. That's the Holy Spirit. He's speaking to your heart, saying, I want to free you from that. That's love. When the Spirit has His way, we come to the same view as God. Our, our thinking has changed. I'm broken and I'm in trouble. I'm broken and I'm in trouble. How many of you came to that point in your life? I've come to it a couple times. <laughs> I'm broken, I'm in trouble. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Matthew 5. That's what he does. This means that we realize, man, I am bankrupt. 
I don't have anything good to offer God. I can't work my way out of this. I can't go to church enough. I can't walk people across the street. I can't give enough money away. I am bankrupt. I've got nothing that's going to save me. That's exactly what God wants us to know. Because he wants to empty you to fill you. Then there's a mourning. When God convicts you of your sin, there's a mourning over your sin. That's dealing with our emotions. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's the purpose of realizing you're bankrupt? What's the purpose of mourning over sin? Is that God wants to do what? He wants to comfort you. And what does he comfort you with? Himself. He fills you with him the God of all comfort. That's it. All right, there we go. That's what he wants. In Acts chapter two, Peter, the Holy Spirit fell and Peter preached the facts. He said, you know, you Jews, you crucified the Messiah. He took him in the Old Testament. He said, this is the Messiah. He said, this is where he would come. This is what he did. And he died. And guess what? You killed him. And what does it say? What their response was, sat there and the reality of the facts hit them. Their mind changed from believing that they were innocent of that to where they were guilty. And guess what they did? They said they were pricked in their heart. It's as if they got ran through and they realized, oh gosh, I'm guilty. What do I do? What do I do? You see, that's a work of the Spirit. It's what He does. This is what we're about because we've experienced this. This is what God calls us to. And they say, well, they were living lives against God. They were, and he gave them the facts. They were lost and headed for judgment. And he said, starting in verse 36, therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter said to all the other apostles, brothers, uh, they said to Peter and all the other brothers and apostles when they heard that, he said, what do we do? What do we do? And that's the response. Go to church. Get in a Bible study. No? What's the first thing he says? Those are good things, but that's peripheral. He responds in verse 38 of Acts chapter 2. Peter replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be comforted. Turn from your sin. Call it like it is. I'm guilty. What you say about me is it. It's true. Oh, God, save me. And repentance is changing your mind and then going, I'm not going down that path anymore. I'm turning towards God. And how many of you know that, yes, what we're talking about is an initial repentance in our heart. We go, I no longer want to live like that. I want to live for you. I choose to follow Jesus. And you turn your life and you move that direction. And as you start moving in this direction, God in his grace shows you a billion things you need to repent of. Throughout your whole life, and he's teaching you as you get older, oh gosh, you know, you thought that was grand, but I saved you from all that. But now I want to show you, now that you're a Jedi and all, you've got pride going on. You've got spiritual pride. Let's work on your spiritual pride. No, I don't want to. Okay, 
Let's have a season of testing. I don't want to do a test, Lord. Then let's work on your spiritual pride. You find <laughs> I don't want that. I don't want either of those. Well, that's what you signed up for when you said, I turn and I follow Christ. And what happens is when you respond to the Spirit and you allow Him to work in your heart and your life, guess what? You're freed of that. And you have comfort and joy. And you start to, the, the, the things that once bound you, they just fall off like chains. And we learn to put off the world and put on Christ. We walk in repentance. Jesus said, have fruit worthy of repentance. We're living in that lifestyle. We're directed towards that life, towards Jesus. And that's moving into faith. But Peter said, with, with, repent. With many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them. It's, 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 it, that's what he was doing. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Peter was crying out. And by the way, Peter of a couple chapters back, was he doing that? Oh, go to the cross with you, Lord. Run away, I'm going fishing. <laughs> Deny Jesus, right? What's the difference between Peter there and Peter on the new? He's full of the Holy Spirit. We need to ask, Lord, fill us to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. We can't do this work apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. Separate sermon. But, so repenting begins in our thinking. We agree with the facts, and then we see that evidence. We, we experience the mourning over sin, that cutting of the heart and our emotions, but it's got to be translated into action. Our will needs to be affected, and you, you actually follow through. Jesus said, you will know a tree by its fruit. You can say you're an apple tree all day long, and you might technically be an apple tree, but where are the, where's the fruit? It's the proof. Jesus says, enjoys the proof. <laughs> he enjoys it. Look at that. It's doing what it's supposed to be. It says life. It's going all the way through it. So Jesus said in Matthew 3, verse 8, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So if someone is, is walking in sin with no conviction, no change, no change in their thinking whatsoever, I challenge that they are saved. I do. If there's no, because the Holy Spirit's in a believer, they're going to be convicting them of that stuff. And how many of you know sometimes it takes a while? <laughs> Amen. So don't want to put a time frame on, but if someone is walking in blatant sin and, and you go, brother, sister, that is, that's sinful. You've got to turn from that. And they're like, eh. That, that shows, I don't even know what to do with that. I think I go back to square one. Have you even received the Lord? Do you know, have you been convicted? Because that's what the Spirit does. There's just a sweetness when you're walking with the Lord that when you get out of that sweetness, your life is miserable. You just want to do everything in, you can to get back into that sweetness, back into that abiding relationship with the Lord. And some of you, Lord, speaking to you this morning, and you know you got crud going on, and he's telling you to repent because he wants you back in the sweetness. Amen? Repent, right? So I want to move on. The first part of the gospel is repentance, turning away from sin. That's what we preach. The second is faith. This is turning towards God. And I'm glad I saved three minutes for this. <laughs> and Paul said, I have declared both the Jews and the Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to have faith? John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who 
believes may have eternal life. What in the world is he talking about? We know in the Old Testament there's, there's pictures that are analogies of spiritual realities. And one of those was was that the tribe of Israel was out there wandering in the desert and they were murmuring and complaining. And so God sent some, t- some snakes in their venomous snakes to go ahead and, and encourage them a little bit to come back to him. <laughs> no, they came in and they bit them and they started dying. And they were crying out going, we're dying, Moses. And so God said to Moses in his mercy, he went ahead and said, go to make a snake, the very thing that's killing them. And I want you to make one, a bronze one. I want you to put it up on a pole and lift it up and tell the people that anyone who looks unto that snake on that pole will be cured and will not die. And Jesus says, just like that, I came into the world. I became sin for you that as I was raised up on the cross, if you realize you've been bitten by the sting of sin, and you know you're going to die. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. If you look to me in faith, and you believe that I took your place on the cross, I became sin for you. I, I satisfied God's righteous judgment against you. If you look to me and you say, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins, guess what? You will be saved. That's what Jesus is saying here. That he goes on in the next verse. He says to Nicodemus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe upon them to save would not perish, which is where we're all going, but would have eternal life. It's to trust that Jesus died to justify you before God. And that's what this is, the doctrine of justification, if you want to get into that. God makes you justified before God. It's you're guilty, you're going to be executed, and the judge steps in and says, I will take your place. Do you, will you accept it? And you say, yes. And he took your place. And the guilt was put upon him, and you are free. Just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. I love that. That's what he's done. That's what faith does. Put faith in Christ. Faith is believing that Jesus, who he is, who he said he is, he is the Savior. He died on the cross to take the punishment for men. But they must believe. Faith is staking your life upon Jesus and who he says he is. John 3, 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains upon them. So repentance and faith, they work hand in hand. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross to take away all our sin. And I love the word all. All our sin. So turn from it and turn to him as the message. That's what we proclaim. This is the good news. That what we believe and we are, we are a witness of. And this is what we proclaim to the world. We proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we proclaim it because we have repented. And we claim it because we have faith in Jesus. So church, if you're caught this morning, repent. Turn towards the Lord. Holy Spirit's convicting you. It's going to feel like the cross. You're giving up something big. Oh no, what if that and this and that? Do it and you'll have life. Turn towards him. 
We're here to help you and pray for you. But that's where it starts with us. You want to be a powerful witness of Jesus Christ, which he's called you to be? Starts with us. Starts in our own hearts. We repent, we believe, and we become witnesses of the power of the gospel. We are the gospel. It's pretty interesting. We're that epistle. We're that living letter. So, anyways, what's going to keep us from sharing the Lord? We want to end now. What's going to keep us from witnessing? And I think it's when we neglect that fourth direction in which ministry flows to us. And I'll just quickly read it. Verses 22 through 24. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying of the good news of God's grace. If you value your life, you will never serve God. You will never serve the church. You will never reach the world. You'll never have the true fulfillment in your life. Jesus says you want to have life, lose it. Amen? Lord, we, this morning, we ask just for your, we know your Holy Spirit's been working. And I know that there are brothers and sisters this morning who are under um, you, the weight of your word. And you are speaking to us about repenting ourselves. Maybe it's from an attitude of, oh, I'm not going to do that. Or maybe it's just something we keep holding on to that you said it's time to turn if you want to have life. And if that's you this morning, um, obey the Lord. Turn from that mindset. That mind that said that says I'm in charge. Or the mind that says th- that I know what you say, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Turn from that and turn towards the Lord. And you're going to find freedom. And you're going to find power flowing in your life again. And joy. May the Holy Spirit work in your hearts on that. If you've never received Jesus this morning, and there's the Holy Spirit's working in your heart, and you are struggling inside, you know that, boy... I, I've, I've, I'm, I'm go, I've been going the opposite direction my whole life. But now I see and now I hear you that I've been in rebellion against you and, and I'm going to account for that one day and I don't want to have an accounting of that. I don't want to be eternally separated and judged for what I've done. So help me to repent. Help me to turn. Um, if, that's, if that's your heart, the Lord wants to save you. 
And I would encourage you to cry out to him in your heart right now. Say, God, I'm a sinner. I don't even know all the theology. I don't know all the politics of all this stuff. Just save me. God, help me. I'm broken. I'm messed up. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and took it all away. Believe that. And God will make you a new creation. But you have to start, you have to step up, follow it up with action. Follow the Holy Spirit then. Turn from your sin and let life flow. Father, we lift up our church. We lift up the people who are here. And we ask that we would be empowered to witness. We wouldn't be on the sidelines anymore about frivolous stuff, but we would be pulling people out of hell, (laughs) the edge of hell, by giving them your gospel. And God, we are so weak, and that is so awesome, because you are super strong. May you be strong in and through us as we go this week. In the name of Jesus, amen.